This is a re-release of an episode from February 2020, season one of the podcast. This episode is with the only African-American riverkeeper in the world, Fred Tutman. Fred is the riverkeeper for the Pawtuxent River in Maryland, uh, which is within the Chesapeake Bay watershed located in the northeastern state um, of Maryland in the U.S. This episode is especially meaningful for me because it was the first time I gained the perspective of an elder in the environmental justice movement. Fred's words still echo in my thoughts because I learned about how segregated the environmental movement is and the challenges that black and brown communities face, especially when competing with mainstream environmental movements for attention and resources for environmental justice causes. And if you've been following us on our journey over the past first season, you will see that or notice that um, this theme is is unfortunately a reoccurring theme. So I am re-releasing episodes, uh, every other older episodes every other week because I'd like for us to revisit some of the conversations that set the foundation for this podcast. Uh, I also want to continue honoring the guests. And another reason for re-releasing episodes is so that our new listeners can catch up and older followers or listeners can reflect on these conversations. So a new episode will be released next week. Uh, until then, please enjoy my conversation with the Pawtuxent Riverkeeper, Fred Tutman. Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. In this episode, I had a fun conversation with Fred Tutman, who is the official Patuxent River Keeper. The Patuxent River is a tributary in the Chesapeake Bay in the state of Maryland. I didn't know there were river keepers, not only in the U.S., but globally until I came across Fred through my research. And learning about what he does, I felt like I absolutely needed to share this with you. What made me more curious about Fred is that he worked in media for 27 years and then made a major shift to protect and preserve the Patuxent River as a river keeper. I wanted to know what led to that shift. And also as the only African-American river keeper in the U.S., I wanted to know what Fred thinks we can do in the environmental movement to make it more inclusive and increase representation of grassroots environmental movements such as that of the Patuxent River Keeper. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and hit me up if you have any questions or wanted to share your reactions on this. I thought we could first start off by just talking about your background of working in media, television and radio for 27 years. And then later on in your life, you decided to go to law school and now you are the Patuxent River Keeper. How did that shift come about and what is fulfilling to you being a river keeper? So it's funny you should ask because it is true. I've tried to figure this out myself. How did I end up being a river keeper? Because I started out on an entirely different course in life. You know, my sense of it was that I've always been a change agent. And 
at one time, I guess the evolution of my thinking was that I thought the best way to be an activist was to make films about various issues and to do media productions about some of the issues that I was really concerned about. And, and I saw that as social change stuff. So the first company I formed for a media company was actually called Transcultural Multimedia because I had this fantasy that I was going to go and make films and documentaries that would help bring cultures closer together. Mm. You know, later in life, I learned that water actually has that potential too. You can bring people together as a community organizer with a very different set of tools, a very different toolbox than you would have if you're um, making films or taking pictures or being a journalist. But more importantly, the clients, the people who paid for the stuff that I did in my television career, they weren't interested in social change. They wanted to sell stuff to people. So, so I was really in the wrong game, I think, in looking back on it, if I really wanted to make substantial social change of any sort, because the, the instrumentality for that is really not making television shows. It's about getting your boots on the ground and going out and doing something in these communities. Mm -hmm. So after a while, I began to feel like we were kind of skunks at the picnic. I would get hired on these big international news stories, and we'd go overseas, and we'd spend all kinds of expense account money. And in the end, I don't know that we helped anybody except ourselves. I began to feel a little guilty about going to developing countries and taking pictures rather than actually trying to pitch in and trying to help and trying to solve these problems. So I needed some bridge between the old career and my desire to be an activist. And I thought law school might at least clear the decks in terms of me being able to do any number of things. Because while I knew I didn't want to practice law, I knew I needed something that was kind of a transition career that would allow people to see me differently, not just as a guy with TV cameras and microphones and being a journalist or a scriptwriter or whatever. So that's a, a long explanation, but that's the that's how my thinking kind of changed over time about the role that I could play to become the change I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. you know? It's like Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the world. Yes, that's, that's, you, you remember the quote much better than I did, but that's <laughs> exactly the sentiment I was trying to capture. So why the Patuxent River? What drew you to it? The Patuxent is the river that runs near my family's farm. We have a, a, a family tract of land that's been in the family since oh, almost 100 years mm -hmm. in Maryland. And the Patuxent River was the river I swam in, fished in, could walk to when I was a boy. And I had been involved in local activism, trying to protect the Patuxent near me. For some strange reason, it wasn't until I was probably in my 40s that it occurred to me that the river actually started somewhere north of us <laughs> and went somewhere to the south of us. And we were in the middle. It just never occurred to me where the river came from and where it went. Right. It just was sufficient that it ran past the house. So, <laughs> so in an odd sort of way, it, it widened my scope. I suddenly realized, you know, the problems I'm trying to solve in this neighborhood related to water and the environment. They're actually outside of my zip code sometimes. They're actually outside of my view shed. And so that was exciting. The idea that I could go maybe to the bigger picture problems under which the ones I was working on, the problems I was working on, really, where they really sat, go to the source. So that's really how, again, my thinking began to shift about where I could make a difference. And I knew it had to be bigger than just what I could see from my family's farm. Mm -hmm. It had to be the multiple counties of the states, particularly the state's most, I'd say, activist river. It is the river that gave rise to the Chesapeake Bay movement close to 50 years ago. That's a movement that has been cleaned up only to see those gains lost again, but largely through activism, through citizen activism. So the river has a real heritage itself of clawing its way 
to some form of uh, sustainability. Yeah. And it seemed like a great challenge. The one I could devote three lifetimes to if I had three lifetimes to spend on it. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, it's sort of the activism that you would have to pass on to the next generation so that the momentum can either sustain or just grow bigger, right? Yeah, I, I think that's certainly true. And there's something romantic about it, too. I think I'm a Pisces and, you know, I have all this kind of watery mm-hmm. sense of connection to water wherever it happens to be. You are a water sign. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. And I also think that water is kind of a good um, way to connect people. If you're staying on an elevator with a bunch of strangers, and, you know, men often make small talk, uh, at least in the United States, about football, which is really not my thing. But if you want to talk about water, I find it's a great discussion starter. People really want to get it off their chest. They want to talk about what's important, significant about their connection mm-hmm. to the water that was near where they were or when they were growing up, or the water that they're familiar with. Water's heartfelt. It's something that goes right to the bone, I think, in people in terms of their sense of the world. Yeah. Whenever I tell people that I work on water issues, I think that just resonates with them because most reactions are, water is life. Of course, why, why wouldn't we care about water? Most of the people that I do come across and tell them that I work on water issues, while they are intrigued, they don't necessarily think that they're are jobs or that there's work to be done in water, but they know the value of water because they see it directly connected to their well-being. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you work on as as a river keeper, how do you make that connection between livelihoods, the river and water? Well, that's a great question. So First of all, I have this little, um, I guess you would say, phrase or, or thing I say to myself. Is today a day we're going to be making a difference or is a day we're going to be making a living? Yeah. <laughs> so, because I, I've had a difficult time finding ways to do both at the exact same time. Sometimes we can, mm-hmm. but, but for the most part, we have to draw that distinction. There's work, there's work to be done in these watersheds that nobody's standing in line to take on because nobody's going to pay for it. It's work that's necessary. As far as the infrastructure of the communities that it serves, watermen and lots of other interests along these waterways that are prime interests. And yet, it's all kind of haphazard how we try to protect those things. We pass the hat, right? If we wanted to build three Chesapeake Bay bridges across the Chesapeake Bay, I'm sure we could find money on the stock market and people willing to chip in. If we wanted to clean up the Chesapeake Bay, we'd have to pass the hat. (laughs) <laughs> run a lottery, <laughs> mm-hmm. do any number of things that were that are under the table and under the radar screen because it's simply not provided for. So that's what I'm alluding to is that this, the work of connecting people to these waters, of building a movement that spans multiple counties and, and multiple jurisdictions, all to protect a single resource, is not work that people are standing in line to do, but it's necessary work. Just as a reference point in a single watershed, which let me be clear by by perspective, my my river is 110 miles long, so it's not the biggest river in the world by any stretch of the imagination. There are lots and lots of rivers that are bigger. It's big enough that on a clear day, if I'm in an airplane, I can just about see where the water enters the Chesapeake Bay while I'm flying above the headwaters. On a really clear day, you can almost kind of see 110 miles if you really squint. So it's not enormous, but it is a symbol in many respects. And it's also something that has given quite a lot to the formation of Maryland in particular. This river, the Patuxent, 
people say that this is one of the most significant rivers or most studied rivers in America for all kinds of reasons, not only because a lot of the water science that is being used around the rest of the country was developed, believe it or not, on the Patuxent River, but also because the War of 1812 unfolded there. Some people think it's the only place that has been invaded by a foreign power on American shores other than Pearl Harbor and 911. Because the British landed literally right where our office is, as a matter of fact, Patuxent Riverkeeper's office is right where the British landed on the Patuxent before they marched across land to burn the White House during the War of 1812. So in other words, our country was being invaded. Our country was actually being invaded by a foreign power on the Patuxent River. Wow. So in a sense, it has national significance and national historical significance. Granted, a very unpopular war. Not, not many people know much about the War of 1812 at all and why we were in it. But anyway, if I can have bragging rights a little bit, the, the Patuxent has a, it's not just a local river in Maryland. It is a nationally significant river for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. You just kind of explaining the historical context of the river. I guess my imagination went to that time and just imagining the, the British troops sailing up the river. And I enjoy history. And so for me, just knowing a little bit more about what would be an, a natural historic site, I guess, it just adds a little bit more context and more appreciation for that particular feature, if that makes any sense. Well, sure. Yeah, and again, water water is important. Water is important as a navigational aid, as a reference point, as a highway for commerce, as this country was new and young and, and growing. So you know, water has all of these overtones wherever you find it. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of a fan. Everywhere I go, I want to check out the local water and find out how it figures into the local geopolitics. Yeah, and you, if you don't mind telling us again or t- telling me again the background of how the river got its name. It was a very, I guess, an eye-opening and somewhat romantic story about the name of the river and what it means to the indigenous community that gave it its name. Sure. So most of the tributaries of the Chesapeake Bay, of which the Patuxent is only one of many, most of those rivers do have Native American names. And those names came about through all sorts of reasons and ways. But the Patuxent actually was an Indian tribe, a Native American tribe, now very assimilated, now very absorbed. Some people say that the Algonquin-speaking Indians, like the Patuxent tribes, the Algonquin Algonquin language was a trade language, I gather, favored by lots of different Native American tribes that traded amongst themselves. But some people say that the word Patuxent meant in Algonquin, water running over smooth stones. But it could also be used as a compliment. It could be used to uh, compliment a beautiful woman, for example. You know, like, like, hey, I think you're Patuxent. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be a compliment, I, I think. I'm just uh, going to be using that. <laughs> yeah, hey, Patuxent, how are you, Patuxent? <laughs> it just sounds so much better. <laughs> yeah, it does. There's a lot of syllables. But, uh, well, you know, the analogy people have shared with me is like aloha, which apparently can be used by inflection, or, you know, either if you're coming or going, yeah. it can be used as a, in, in many different situations. Yeah, that's really cool. So thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't know until you told me, of course, but you told us a little bit about what you are trying to do in terms of building a, a movement towards protecting and preserving the river to the extent possible. Could you tell us a little bit about what does a day in the life of a river keeper look like? Well, actually, to me, one of the most intriguing things about this work is it's never the same two days in a row. 
I do a lot of public speaking and media appearance work, which is good in the general sense to raise the profile of the river. But a lot of my work is actually very hands-on in the watershed. Last week, I was meeting with county and state officials over um, some permitting issues that have uh, come up on one of the restoration projects that we're involved with in one of the towns along the river. So we work with uh, municipalities and with local communities literally to solve local water problems. Sometimes we're able to find grant support to uh, do a restoration of a stream or to fix some local infrastructure. Some days I'm in court. Some days I'm uh, visiting with citizens in various places of the river looking at issues and problems and concerns that have been raised by local communities. You know, it's pretty endless in terms of the variety of stuff. Sometimes in the warm weather months, I'm actually on the river, mm-hmm. actually in boat out on the river um, looking again at pollution issues or doing water quality monitoring. We stage a lot of events to bring the communities that we serve together at our office. We have some pretty good alliances with the Native American communities near our office, and they often have ceremonies and observances uh, at the office. We have a um, kind of an anti-Columbus Day event every year. We call it, um, let's see, I forgot what we call it. It's not called anti-Columbus Day. I think it's called, it's called Indigenous Peoples Day. Indigenous yes. Peoples Day. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting because I feel like we're also changing culture. Yeah. You know, some people come by and they raise their eyebrows like, hmm, what the, what's wrong with Columbus? Right. You know, through the Native American lens, people like Columbus and John Smith. Yeah. Who, who quote, unquote, discovered the Chesapeake Bay, as though the Native Americans here already hadn't really discovered it. Incidentally, John Smith didn't care about the Patuxent. He, he apparently went to the mouth of the Patuxent, went a few miles up, and then got bored and turned around and left and thought there was nothing worth pursuing. Mm. So, so he did very little on the Patuxent River, unlike the British much later. So my days are different. They're, they're all over the map. And I must say, Sap, that this is the most challenging work I've ever done. There are days when I'm completely done in, like I'm completely tapped out in terms of my stamina yeah. and my ability to keep up with it. You're meeting people's expectations. A riverkeeper is not just a person and a job. It's a symbol, too. You know, you're, you're really a symbol. You epitomize people's hopes and aspirations for the salvation of a river that, frankly, has gotten only worse.